Hi, this is Ben Smith. I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hey folks, welcome to episode 10 of A Small Voice. We are into double figures. Listen, I'm sorry about my voice. I do have a cold, um, and that's because I have a six-year-old who has a cold, and he likes to uh, cough into my mouth uh, when that happens, so consequently I have his cold. Some of you will know how that goes. Um, So if my voice is annoying, or I should probably say more annoying than usual, uh, I I can only apologize apologize um but the show must go on as they say this week uh peter dench peter has 20 years of experience as an editorial photographer shooting documentary features portraits and advertising jobs uh, as well as turning his hands to video writing podcasting um being co-creative director of the white cloth gallery in leeds which he co-founded and although he's worked in over 60 different countries he's perhaps best known for documenting various aspects of English life in his own inimitable, irreverent style. Uh, He's won numerous awards and has published four books, three of them in the past 12 months, England Uncensored, A&E, Alcohol in England, The British Abroad, and most recently, um, Dench Does Dallas, in which he sought to make a break from the work on England by turning his attention to the um, USA. Uh, the accompanying exhibition of that work is, depending, of course, when you're listening to this, currently still on at the Art Bermondsey Project space in London until November 7th, 2015. So if you are in London, there is still time to get down to see that. Uh, Peter's a lovely bloke, very funny. I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I did. Maybe we could start by um, talking about the the current project, which is uh, being exhibited as we speak in London. Yep. It's the last week. It uh, finishes on the 7th of November, and it's at the uh, Art Bermondsey Project space, and it's Dench Does Dallas. Um, so anyone in London who has not um, seen it has still got a chance to go and see it. And if you're not in London, you can get the book published by Blue Coat. Um, so how did that come about, that project? Good question. Um, it's my fourth book. The first three were on Britishness and you know notions of identity about this nation. And I wanted to close off that trilogy and start to explore somewhere else. And, you know, American, naturally, you know, every photographer has to contribute their voice about that, uh, that continent. And I, I thought it was my time. So I was looking to, you know, change the exchange, the red, white and blue of the Union flag for the stars and stripes of America. And Dallas uh, seemed a good place to start. Uh, if, if nothing else, it's a, it's a good title. And I think you can you can work with that to uh, to an advantage. Absolutely, but was it more or less a kind of why Dallas? Was it a random choice? Yeah, the story is um, a crowdfunded 
my third book, or part crowdfunded it, The British Abroad. And one of the rewards was um, you can have your company logo in the book and 20 copies of the book. And slightly out of the blue, Olympus uh, decided to go for that reward. So I, I went and asked the man who authorised that why, and he said timing. And I said, that's interesting. Um, what do you mean? And um, he explained that they were opening a new uh, exhibition space in London and they thought the British abroad might be a good project to open it with. And I said, well, that's fantastic, but it's done. Um, I'd like to do something new. And I had this thought, you know, it has to be somewhere else. You know, uh, we get pigeonholed as photographers. So I was looking to sort of you know, explore, you know, different parts. So I, wanted, I knew I wanted to go to America and, and I was asked where and I didn't quite know. So I just raced through the alphabet in my head and people of a certain generation will remember the film Debbie Does Dallas, which shaped the minds of... Uh, many teenagers growing up in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. And so I just blurted it out. I just said, Dench does Dallas. And it had a nice sort of alliteration to it. And on the title alone, uh, Olympus kindly um, authorised the trip and uh, helped me get it done. So in a way, it was kind of the best of both worlds because you get to go and do a personal project, but you're being backed by uh, a big, you know, a, a company who can who can throw in some money sort of it's kind of like a magical thing that you pulled off there. that's what we strive to do yeah there was no brief they put me under no pressure to deliver content you know there was which which is quite um quite foreboding in a way you know all I had to do for the fortnight I was there was wake up go out and take pictures you mm. know of my own choosing um and some days worked better better than others, but you know, as a, as a as a photojournalist, the traditional routes for getting work seen in you know the broadsheet supplements uh, has diminished, and a project like this wouldn't be commissioned by you know one of the big uh, magazines. No. Um, so yeah, it was a real a real treat, mm. uh, and one in which I sort of grabbed yeah with both hands. And did you know going in that? that it was going to end up as a book or you just knew that it was going to be an exhibition or what? The, the, that's always the, the thought from my point of view is book and exhibition. And when I sort of floated that idea, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't batted back, you know, so I was kind of proactively thinking, you know, that's, that's what I wanted. Um, and I was prepared for that. So as soon as I returned with the images, you know, I wrote some accompanying copy. I got all the, work edited I got the captions in place um, and then I think from the book and exhibition being green lighted it, it, it was all turned around in six weeks wow um, so I only got back from Dallas early July and then we had a meeting uh, at the Bermondsey space and uh, Olympus said can you turn around a book and, you know, obviously we'd like to do an exhibition and it all came together. I think the book arrived a day before mm. uh, the exhibition opened. So That's it all amazing. worked out well in the end. And I mean, you know, some people are of the opinion that you need to do about 10 years of solid work to produce a, a, a book. And, you, you know, clearly doesn't seem to, to necessarily be the case. Did you have any 
uh, doubts that you would be able to produce enough material in, in such a time, an incredibly short period of time? No, it was an incredibly long period of time. Um, you know, I'm used to working on assignment to briefs, you know, producing good images quickly. Um, so when I was in, in Dallas, you know, I, I, I think, oh, I need to get those, those money shots. You know, I need to get the Dench typical Peter Dench photographs or what I think they are. So, you know, I'll photograph a couple of drunk people, some saucy clubs. Uh, and then uh, that was uh, that only takes a day or two. And I realise I've still got 10, 11, 12 days left. So then you look again and you start to take a new sort of set of pictures and then you're only halfway through the trip. So then you look again and you start to sort of be more forensic about, uh, you know, what what to photograph. And, and to answer your question, you know, these Photographers can be too precious about projects. Mm. Uh, and if you can say, I've been working on something 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, you know, sometimes photographers get afraid to get that work out there because then they're back, you know, to, 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 yeah. to square one. You know, what do I do next? So for me, I've done that. You know, um, the second book, Alcohol in England, was 10 years of work. England Uncensored was 10 years of work. And now I'm of the opinion shoot it, get it out there, get going on something else. And uh, there are many ways to get your work out there, whether it's a zine, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a, you know, a photography book. There's no excuse, I don't think, to dwell Mm. uh, on projects longer than is necessary yeah yeah and i guess clearly it's also partly about how you how you work i mean you're not one of those people who's happy just wandering about slightly aimlessly hoping to or you know waiting for an image to come you're much more you're a bit more organized in the sense of you know you figure out where to go i mean tell me the process of uh, with this book um did you do a lot of research before you even went out there I'm always told as a photojournalist I have to have a clear idea of what I want to say and then go and collect the images that say that. Um, I don't necessarily think that's true and it's certainly not true of the way I work. You know, I'd rather decide where I want to go, find a reason to go there and then decide what I want to say from the edit, from the editing process. So did I do a lot of research for Dallas? Not really. Um, There's a certain amount of fear that, you you don't know where you know you don't know where you're going or what you might get. So, I think I organised about four um, appointments where I knew I had an anchor somewhere to be at a certain time, which I think is helpful. So, I contacted the Dallas Police uh, and spent a day at the Dallas Junior Police Academy. I went on patrol with them um, for a bit. Uh, I went to a uh, I can't even pronounce it, but it's a 15th birthday party in the Latin community, a Quintianera. Mm-hmm. Apologies. Um, so, you know, I had these places that I, that I, the things that I knew were happening and knew where I had to be. And I was, of course, um, made sure I was in Dallas for the 4th of July, which is Independence Day. So I knew there'd be events going on around that. I did actually contact a number of photographers. Uh, in the Dallas area who I thought might be able to help and I got two replies and those replies were along the lines of um, I have a family I'm grounded I'm a Christian I don't really know how I can help you so I didn't think I'd sent a list of seedy requests um, but that was kind of an indication that I was about to be photographing in somewhere uh, somewhere somewhere with a 
less liberal attitude than in Europe. Right. And I mean, do you spend most of your time alone during these projects or do you try and sort of seek uh, other people's company? Well, how did it work when you were out there? We're all ultimately alone, Ben. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do prefer... I can't... I find it difficult to photograph with company. I mean, but then not... I, I also need, you know, thing, people to photograph. Yeah, of them, course. So. I mean, what... what you know, what's your sort of, uh, this might be a weird question, but I'm thinking about what your sort of um, inner, you know, thoughts are when you're, when you're out there shooting. I mean, do you, do you do, do a lot of, um, do you have a lot of chatter internal in there or are you quite, are you just like, you know, happy to shoot and get on with it? Because um, some people, you know, there's a lot of sort of self-flagellation going on e- even while you're in the process of doing it. Yeah, and I, I subscribe to that, definitely. Do it's you? not easy being me. <laughs> well, it's the, good to know, you know. There is a lot of chatter and you 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 have to put pressure on yourself uh, to deliver. And every day, uh, you know, this is starting to sound like a Fraser Crane. <laughs> you're listening. I'm, I'm Ben, I'm listening. Um yeah, I put myself under a lot of pressure to deliver. Uh, and a typical day, I will laugh out loud through sheer delight. Uh, I'll I'll get depressed, you know, morose. Uh, and yeah, but that's the joy of photography. It can uh, it can deliver spontaneous highs and sort of uh, a lot of a lot of lows. And it rarely is it in between. But I wouldn't have it any other way. Right. Okay. And, and also, it's like you know, what am I doing here? I'm, you know, I'm making making pretty pictures, or what am I trying to say? That kind of thing. So it's and again with the exhibition, I kind of sometimes I look at it and I'm very proud of what I've achieved, and, and other times you think, well, you know, it's 57 pictures on a wall. It's not. Is it saving lives? What am I doing? You know, sure. should this effort have been deployed in a different way or elsewhere? But yeah, these are the dialogues you have to have. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, the fact that it's all digital now, at least you can see what you're getting as you go. And it's a, it's a bit less hassle than back in the day when you'd have to, if you wanted, to, if you were doing something in a short period of time, you have to see, you know, processing film and stuff. Do you find it more, more straightforward now that you can, you can tell whether you're getting images? I'd like to say no, but that would be a lie. Um, yeah, I, I, for 10 years, I shot exclusively on medium format film. So I do have that, you know, I don't have that rapid fire approach i'm quite a conservative with the amount of frames i think i shot three thousand for the dallas book you know in in 12 12 days 12 13 days so that's not a tremendous amount so i still have that approach of you know um, deliberation press the shutter move um, but it is more helpful to be able to see at the end of the day what you've achieved and what you know, what you might need to sort of supplement what you've already got. So, when I first shot digital, you know, I put black tape on the on the screen on the back because I didn't want that photographer's flick where you shoot and then immediately flick to the back of the camera. But the yeah. temptation is too much, isn't it? It's just nonsense to to not take advantage of exactly. what digital can it's, provide. It, yeah, you might as well you might as well use that yeah. option. But yeah, chimping, I think people call that chimpy i yeah. like that yeah i believe so like wristing i mean wristing. maybe maybe <laughs> yeah um so and then um 
the, the book is published by um, by Blue Coat, who you've had a long relationship with. They've done your other books. Um, you you know you seem to have people make a big a big song and dance about doing a book, but you seem to just quite happily do them without any big aggravation. Uh, how did your relationship with Blue Coat start? Yeah, the. The three of the four books of the last three books have been published by Blue Coat Press, and um, yeah, the first one was by Emphasis, which is a sort of crowdfunding platform that uh, is no longer with us. Um, I don't have much knowledge of the book world, you know. I haven't got many contacts in it, and I'd seen John Bulmer's book, The North, published by Blue Coat Press, and uh, it's a they're big, affordable books and I didn't want my work or all the projects I was working on to be sort of too precious you know I want people to look at books I want them to stuff them in their rucksack take them to the pub you know leave their drinks on them share them um I don't want them to be art objects where you're afraid to get them off the shelf and you gently leaf through them and so you know I I saw Blue Coat Press I like what they did um, I showed the work to Colin Wilkinson, who's who's basically runs it, and he said I publish four books a year at the moment. I'd like this to be one of them. So I, you know, and also at the moment, I think a lot of photographers are having to raise money for their books to be published. And uh, on this occasion, you know, with alcohol in England, I, I asked Colin, and how much money do you need from me to raise? And he says, oh, I'm old school. I'll take care of all of that. So wow. You know, the, the second book we did part crowdfund, which I'm I'm completely comfortable with. Uh, it, it's just ways of getting your work out there, and uh, so Blue Coat for me, um, do a good job. Mm. Yeah, I, mean, I really like that you've got a kind of and the kind of you know opposite um, attitude to, to a lot of people, which is, you know with photo books, which is that the thing itself should be very beautiful, and you know it's this kind of wonderful object and and i can i can see it both ways really i think there's room for both of those uh, attitudes to i've been it. through that you know the first book was pr- printed at ebs it's got top and tail bands that i chose uh, it's you know it's got a it's got all the, the paperweights um was was deliberated over uh, you know you sign off the sheets and it's a fantastic process and i fully endorse photographers to to go through that but when you've gone through it once um you know try something else it's mm. uh yeah there's uh each each book has its own sort of merits i think yeah and so you mentioned some of your um the other books um which is you know the, i think the first one was the was the the, the project about um the boozing the english and and their um love of drinking um so let's talk about that a bit um how how did that that started out as a um as an actual as a magazine job didn't it um wasn't it something for the new yorker or something initially no that was the 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 british abroad um was an assignment for the new yorker oh, okay so that came in later 2012 yeah okay i mean alcohol in england a and e is 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 the book i've or is the book i wanted to produce since i started taking photographs you know i grew up in a seaside town um a holiday resort that was very sort of booze saturated it was quite a violent place to grow up you had uh 
you had a navy base sort of depositing horny sailors into the town every weekend you had people during factory shutdown coming down from Bristol and Birmingham you know you had the locals so it was a it was a mix of you know young men lots of bars lots of violence um yeah my parents worked for a brewery I my playground was the bottling plant. Yeah, this was what shaped my vision of England. So, um, yeah, that was always something that I was interested in. And, you know, when I started taking photography seriously, I think in, you know, 2000, um, when I, I joined an agency called IPG. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, there were quite prestigious photographers there working on long-term projects. Um, Zed Nelson was doing gun culture in America Tom Stoddard was doing AIDS in Africa and I was asked what I wanted to focus on you know spend the next few years of my life documenting so you know I pretended to think for a bit but I already had the answer I said I want to document um, the imbibing habits of the English so you know that was um yeah that was the kind of the the book I wanted to produce and uh you know it, it's the, the images range from two, uh, 1998 to 2008 um, which I think was a was a significant period in, you know, in how we um, our relationship with alcohol in the in the UK, where we were arguably drinking, you know, longer, faster, cheaper than ever before, and that's changed. Um, so you know, with with most of these books, you know, I, I take a chance. I want them to be, you know, have an anthropological legacy to them. Um, yeah, a document of a particular phase in, yeah. in the development of something or, or so, a particular you know, era. So hopefully that'll be with the British abroad as well. This period of, you know, cheap holidays, cheap airfares, you know, might not last. And the book may become, you know, a visual definition of you know, a four-year four, four year period. Hmm. And um, so what did you end up um, concluding about... Uh, various aspects of of the british um let's start with the alcohol i mean um you, you you've got quite you're quite a keen drinker aren't you you mention it a lot you talk about it quite a lot you that, must be that's fair to say yeah good um did did it get tedious being around very drunk people because you know must have there must be times when it was just a bit much when you're sober or were you did you also uh join them at times i i, I always partake of a tipple when I'm out and about it makes us I wasn't I wasn't tired of being in those situations at the time I'd say I'm tired of it now not that I want to talk myself out of any commissions but I'm 43 Mm. I don't blend as well as I used to there's a video on YouTube um, of a boat party in Ayanapa and the DJ sort of tracks across the crowd and then when he sees me he immediately reverses back the other way forgets he's done it and then does it again you know my daughter finds this hilarious so you know I'm starting to understand that you know I'm not as welcome in these positions and you know I'm, uh, it's time for me to sort of move on anyway yeah and hence the, the the Dallas thing which is sort of like you say a break from that um the, the thing that you're you're best known for which is documenting the English yeah, I have worked in around about 64 different countries Absolutely. on assignment, but, you know... And there's, yeah, there's it, stuff on your website from all over the place, but but I think, as you say, we, I guess we all get, you know, you get pigeonholed to some extent and people know you for a particular... Yeah, I, th- I think that's yeah. important, you know, people need to know, who are you, you know, oh, that's the, that's that guy, or that's yeah. that 
photographers. Well, so. well, the other characteristic is that you're known for is the is the humour in your work. Um, how how did that? Where did that come from? Is that you know? Did that um, evolve naturally? Again, I, I I think that's the seaside. That's, that's where where I grew up. You know that that saucy seaside sense of humour. Um, you know the postcards, the kiss me quick hats. Uh, you know I worked in the Weymouth joke shop. You know um, Benny Hill was a big influence. Carry on films. You know this is what shaped my early vision, and I think that humour. Um, you know, embedded itself quite early. And humour's an important tool in photography. It's quite difficult to get right. Um, you still have to have something to say. And you know, I remember an old agency director saying, Peter, you can't just go along taking funny pictures. You know, you have to have something to say with them. Um, so if you, if you can make people laugh, make people think, if, you know, effect change in a series of pictures, whether that's a magazine spread a book or an exhibition, for me, that's a successful set of pictures. And I think if you, you know, if you have a, a hundred pictures of, you know, emaciated individuals, death, you know, sort of dark subjects, the, the viewer almost prepares themselves for what is next. They go, okay, it's a book or it's an exhibition of those kind of pictures. So they sort of brace themselves. But with my books, I hope that it takes you... You know, on many, you know, it takes you up and down. So you, if you can make people laugh um, and then drop in an image of, say, uh, an A&E ward or a fatal car crash, um, I think the impact is, is tenfold. So, you know, it's, it's, it's quite difficult, I think, humour to get right, but it's a powerful and useful tool. Yeah, yeah, and you do mix, mix those things up. There is, there is a picture of a, of a, car, a car crash which was uh, drink-related. Is that, is that right? And there was someone lying, and it's kind of... Yeah, it is in contrast to some of those other more um, amusing images, but it kind of works, I think, part of the, the story. But where... And obviously people interpret things differently i mean some people might look at those pictures of people getting incredibly drunk and and be disgusted some people might find it extremely funny kind of where do you stand on that spectrum well the the the, the reactions i get from people is they 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 say oh that could be me or that could be my uncle or you know so it's all it's all very familiar which i think is positive uh, feedback so yeah for me these i mean the the british abroad they were the holidays i went on as a teenager um you know the the clubs in a and e all all these situations all these environments well most a lot of them are are very familiar to me and uh, you know that they, they were things that you know i wanted to make sure i documented mm. and and clearly martin Parr must have been some kind of an influence is that true to say i'm surprised it's taken us so long yeah um, i thought i'd keep it i thought i'd keep my powder dry for a few minutes peter and then you know, <laughs> well, has there, to be, you know there's rarely a day that goes by in my professional or personal life where martin isn't mentioned by or to me and i'd like to think that i would have developed the style of photography i have regardless of martin parr um he's certainly helped the process uh, at times hindered not personally just the the you know the fact that he's a working photographer um but i you know i acknowledge the influence um it's he's prolific it's difficult not to see par parts in you know many situations uh, so you've got to work with that uh, at times but i still think we have a 
very different voices as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And who else? Who else were your sort of early influences when you first started getting into photography? Do you remember? Sort of, did you sort of pour through photo books and get very excited about? Well, access to photo books wasn't as it is. You know, no. there's obviously, no internet. Um, if you know the libraries, the budget didn't go on photography books, so you usually had about twelve to choose from. One would be David Bailey. Uh, you know, Don McCullen would be another one. Philip Jones Griffiths would be another one. And I realised quite early on that um, you know, I didn't really want to go to the front line. I was uh, too much of a coward for that, I think. And then I saw um, Paul Reese's book, I Can Help. Uh, I saw Martin Parr's Cost of Living and The Last Resort. Um, I think it's Peter Fraser's Two Blue Buckets. Mm. Apologies if I've got that wrong. But then I, you know, the Paul Reese book in particular, there's an image of a, of a dad, I think, in, in B&Q. He's got combat trousers on. He's, he's got a roll of wallpaper with some military stuff going on. I think he's got a cigarette, uh, his son's next to him. And I was just blown away by that, that you didn't have to get on a plane and go to the front line. You could just get on the bus and go down the pub or go down the shop, you know, and, and make images you know, in these places. And that still is fascinating for me. So it was those names that, uh, you know, I think really sort of pricked my interest. Yeah. And you did a degree in Derby. Um, what kind of a course was that? Did you get anything from it? Yeah, it, it, tricky question because, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing and I want to be doing what I'm doing. So do I sort of applaud Derby for uh, for, you know, for that? But uh, yeah, my dissertation was on, I've got a first class honours degree in photographic studies from the University of Derby. Has it helped me get a commission? Um Probably not. You know, they didn't prepare their students for the uh, outside world particularly well. Um, but yeah, yeah, my dissertation was on uh, Dr. Diamond and his use of black and white photography in the treatment of female lunatics. And and I haven't had to draw upon that no, uh, in, my, in my daily life. That hasn't life. really come up. No, but in, in a way, you know, Derby, the, the, it kind of edged me towards the type of photography I wanted to do. A lot of people were sort of doing you know, um, self-portraits and studio work and the, the photographers Cindy Sherman, Joe Spence uh, were the ones that w were held up for us to, to admire but you know, I didn't necessarily subscribe to that so I think there were very few of us who didn't photograph ourselves or our friends naked. But I mean, it's just as useful to, to figure out what you don't want to do in a way. Exactly. I think for me, three years at Derby was just time to figure out what I wanted to do, mature yeah. uh, a bit. And then, uh, you know, as soon as the degree was over, a couple of friends and I, we romped down to London. And I think that was the right decision to make at the time. The, the, the other students who went home for one final summer um, didn't really seem to get their act together to... You know, to, you had to come to London, really. If, yeah. if you wanted to be an editorial photographer, you had to physically walk to meet the yeah. people who would give you commissions. I think you went through a phase of um, doggedly um, hassling um, Aidan Sullivan on the Sunday Times magazine. Um, and I was just wondering how you, you know, initially there was a lot of rejection involved there and, and um, you were sort of sent on your way to, to try and um, improve on what you had. But 
were you quite are you quite sort of tenacious were you quite determined in terms of um, not being put off by that kind of rejection yeah I mean, you you've you know I've, um, I'm determined yeah I've got a vision it's, it's quite singular um, I don't think my work has changed too much but, and, but Aidan rightly so I mean I was underprepared when I arrived in London my portfolio wasn't up to scratch um, so you know it was it was constructive it, it wasn't I didn't see it as rejection sure. it was it was encouraging right know. well there you go that's just the way you choose to to frame it <laughs> I mean some people would see that as rejection and, and be very sort of insecure about it um, but clearly you figured you know if you kept if you kept you know, going back and 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 doing you know what he suggested or whatever that you is sooner or later it was gonna bear fruit. Oh, yeah, I also didn't know what else to do. Um, you know, I've I've been fired from every regular job I've had. You know, apart from selling trousers at Top Man, and if things don't work out in photography, I'm told, or I was told when I left, that there would always be a position for me yeah. selling high waistband burgundy trousers to. Uh, you know, bleach-blonded men in Bournemouth. So. Right. But n- probably not now, though, because they don't really, sell those anymore. Really? No, flecked trousers, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I think you went through a period of unemployment as well, I think, we, as most people did at that stage in the 90s. Um, is that true? I mean, after college? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I arrived in London, um, immediately set up an appointment with Reuters. Um, I'd seen some work credited to them that I thought I could achieve. Uh, I dropped off a portfolio. It was lost in the Reuters system. And and by showing, you know, I had a duplicate, but by showing that, I realised quite early on that it wasn't going to open doors. So, you know, um, so I signed on, I think, for two years and applied for press passes to jollies and jamborees and yeah. events that I wanted to witness. And so uh, you kind of used it as an opportunity to just to just um, work on your folio in a way. You d- you weren't uh, you weren't uh, discouraged. Your enthusiasm for the photography was undimmed at that stage. Uh, yeah, it was an advantage to have that gave time. you a chance to yeah, yeah. and. Um, I think there are two at the at the time there were two ways to go about establishing yourself. One was to assist, and one was to try and go it alone. And in hindsight, there was no right choice. And every photographer who went one way seems to have evolved at the same speed as I did. And those of us who chose just to sort of make you know the best of things as, as you know on the dole or, or scra- scraping together what we could. Mm. Um, but there, you know, it was interesting times, and I think um, also if you left Derby, you know, or if you left university in the mid '90s and you didn't become a photographer, you were seen as a failure. You know, if you went into, you know, education or in, worked in a gallery, that was seen as you know you're not achieving. And now I think that's completely changed, and the smart way to go about it is just to hang on in the industry in whatever capacity you can, or be an IT engineer and then have an enthusiasm for photography. So, but, so now you know, things have changed a lot. But at the time, it was, for me, um, I'd rather be on the dole or, or a working photographer, and I, I didn't want to sort of get a job printing at Metro or you know, a part-time position somewhere. Um, because I, I thought that would have been demeaning. Yeah, I think around that time you joined IPG, International Photographers Group, I think it was. Uh, you know, 
was uh, it? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. God. Two, it was 2000, so the Independent Photographers Group, yes. Yeah, and they had some, as you say, some very good people. And was that a big influence on how you then progressed? That was brilliant, yeah. And it was, I'm still in touch with a lot of those photographers, Richard Baker, Harry Borden, Marcus Bleasdale, Tom Stoddard. You know, these were... These were people I'd, some of them were, were photographers I'd studied at university. So to suddenly be, you know, among them, we were, we were part of Cat's Pictures, um, but we were the, the Cat's Cream, the award winners, the swinging dicks, you know, these, we were the ones that were supposed to be sort of uh, the face of you know, this organisation. We weren't the ones who necessarily made the money. Uh, that was all done, you know, with the, the stock boys, but... Uh, yeah, so to, to be a part of that was sort of, I think, lifted me up a level. Yeah, you know, I didn't even know that the World Press Photo Awards existed until I joined IPG. And then they encourage, they say, well, you have to, you know, it's part of the expectation to apply and submit. Um, so, yeah, I, I sort of rode their coattails for a, a good few years, but mm. exceptional times as well. Yeah. And... Um when you started doing the uh, English thing, the first one, the alcohol, the drinking um, project, I mean, did you did you see it as as something that would turn into, um, you know, a, a very long term thing, or that you you would pursue that kind of um, the basis of that subject, the English themselves, into other projects, or was or did that come later once once you'd sort of been working on that for a while? Well, I think the. The, the uh, alcohol in England was the first sort of reportage that I put my mind to and over time to develop. Uh, I didn't necessarily think it would go on for 10 years, but um, yeah, that was, uh, you know, it first ran over 11 and a half pages in the Sunday Times magazine. You know, it picked up a World Press Photo Award in the People in the News Stories category. So you kind of think, well, that's encouraging. Uh, and when your first serious reportage delivers those kind of rewards, you know, it encourages you to, you know, to proceed. Um, so that was that. So I kind of like with any long term projects, um, I break it down into manageable themes. So alcohol is one, love is another, the weather, the food, you know, these are all, you know, ways of coping um, you know, and being motivated to get out there. Right. Uh, you mentioned in, in an interview at one point that um, I think you got lost or, you, you know, you, you got, I don't know if this was coincided with the sort of digital revolution, but there was a period where you got a bit lost. What, what happened there exactly? You've done your research, Ben. I've done a little. Yeah, well, um, for me, for 10 years, nothing changed. You know, 95% of my income came from editorial commissions. The phone would ring or the answer phone would deliver a message. You know, you'd have a week to think about it. But generally, um, yeah, I think at IPG, I was the second most commissioned photographer editorially. Harry Borden was um, you know, doing brilliantly with his portraits. And so I was getting a lot of work. And uh, so so you, when when you're getting a lot of work, you don't, tend to change things so for 10 years the phone rang I'd go on assignment I'd work with a writer you'd shoot you know a bag of film you'd come back you'd chuck it over the counter at metro you'd go and have a bottle of wine you'd pick up the contact sheets china graph and edit and then go off on your other assignment and that kind of all went away around 
2008-2009, I think, which coincides with the economic collapse the, and the sort of development of digital photography. And I wasn't prepared for that change at the time. So there was about a year or so where, you know, I had to sort of, as a lot of photographers I've learnt, had to do was sort of reevaluate what you wanted to do you know we kind of scrabbled around a bit in all directions going oh I'll try this I'll try that and uh, you know some of it stuck some of it didn't so now I think you know you have to the smarter you know if you want to work you have to be like a one-man band you know you're all all very open to collaboration I think these are very collaborative times very exciting times you know um now, if I go on assignment, I want to record a bit of audio, you know, a bit of video in case they need it for the iPad or the online version, you know, I want to shoot the stills, you know, I want to write the thing. And yeah, I, I noticed that as well, that writers were being asked to take the photographs. Mm. And I was thinking, well, why can't, you know, photographers be asked to write the thing? So now, you know, I try and deliver the whole package. Um, yeah. So it took, a, it took a little while to adjust, but uh, I'm pleased that time came um, because I, I had the energy, enthusiasm and the hunger, both literally and otherwise, to, uh, you know, to adapt. Yeah, and you obviously adapted very well. I mean, do, do you think that's a strength that you have, that you're quite adaptable? Well, I don't think it's a weakness. Well, I'm saying that, yeah. But there's plenty of people... Some people if, might have just kind of gone, oh my God, I really don't know what the hell to do here and, and you know, sort of... Well, you sink without the, trace. Those moments, well, that's that's harsh, isn't it? That's the fear, isn't it? Sink, that sinking. Is the fear. But you have to work hard to, you know, there are a lot of people shouting, yeah. shouting loudly. So you either have to get involved or, as you say, suggest, maybe sort of, uh, you know, go silent. I mean, John Boom is a great example, one of the best photographers I know, you know, early colour pioneer the sort of colour photographer to aspire to. Uh, and he kind of turned his back on that, went and made films for the, the National Geographic channels. And now in his 70s, he, he realised history may have not been crediting him as much as it should. Uh, so he's had to be proactive about, you know, about getting back into the mix. Uh, and, and that's what you have to do. So you have to... Yeah, I'm losing my thread here, but you, you have to work hard at um, you know, shouting loudly, but, but having something to say. Yeah. I mean, you had a couple of months where you didn't get a job, um, well, which, they, yeah, they which, say, they, which is, it doesn't seem like a big deal to, to some of us, but for, for you, because, you know, obviously you were used to being busy, it was, you know, it seemed like uh, a significant event or whatever. But yeah, I think, you know, you went and got some part-time job or something how how did you sort of what were your, was your thought process at that stage how did you figure figure out you know what to what to do um yeah they say you're only two months away two unpaid months from the dole you yeah. know i haven't got a trust fund i haven't got a wealthy family i haven't got investments or property to fall back on or cash in or yeah, this is it. This is it. I, photography is it. You know, uh, and I didn't get a you know I didn't get a decent commission for two months. So you do what men people do. You know, you survive, don't you? So I, I did a bit of labouring, uh, and then I worked in the canteen at Capital Radio 
for a couple of weeks. And I remember delivering the milk uh, to, to stock up the fridges. And I bumped into Johnny Vaughan, who looked at me with um, some recognition because I'd photographed him about three months previous for the, for the Telegraph magazine. You know, he looked well. But this is all... Uh, and I see that as a, that time as a, a springboard for change. Uh, and, you know, I, I'd never... I hadn't had a book published until... 2012 and now I'm on the fourth one it's not about quantity but that time was sort of maybe a realization that um you know that things change and you've got a sort of um you know the clammy hand of mortality is starting to squeeze and that's a quickening process yeah again I think it's interesting you know you sort of you're looking at something that some people would would have seen as quite a negative thing, but you've, you're sort of turning it into a positive in a way. I expect there to be more negative moments. Sure. Uh, you know, but it's, it's how you, that's how you not, process that's not, those moments. Yeah, that that's not how life works, is it? It's not a, a progression towards, you know, greatness, a steady you know, climb, is it? There's, and, uh, you know, I welcome the, the dark moments um, because, you know, then you dig deep uh, and you come up with sort of ways out of it that you might not ordinarily have explored. Right. I mean, uh, you'd mentioned writing, and then um, there was this a point at which you'd started writing a column, a monthly column. I think it was in Professional Photographer initially, wasn't it? And then it moved to Hungry Eye. Is Hungry Eye still going? Is that still a... It is, yeah. It's a a quarterly. Okay. So how did that come about? The... It was Grant Scott who um, has been sort of a part of my professional life he keeps cropping up with uh, crucial moments with ideas um and at that time he, he he was looking for you know someone to write a column um but i think i'm right in saying he, he didn't just want a, you know, a column about kit and success and he'd seen my i think he'd seen my tweets uh and on that basis asked if i could submit you know some copy for consideration and I welcome the idea. It's uh, yeah, we only ever read about other photographers' successes. You know the awards they've won, the exhibitions, their their opening. You know the books they've got coming out. And I've had my fair share, but I also know in between those moments of success, there's also very dark times and down times and long times. So I just thought it'd be nice to be honest and write about the moments in between. Uh, the highs and that yeah that's how the column developed and yeah it's four years down the line now but but you know I published it as my my memoirs Mm. and uh, yeah things come from that so you know I've made written contributions to the uh, to the New Yorker Mm. or the New York Times you'd have to check that uh, and to the Telegraph magazine and it's it's all it's all galvanizing yeah, the column the column was actually very popular. Is it? Do you think it was that honesty that a- appeals to people? Because uh, it seems to me that a lot of people spend a lot of energy um, trying to uh, pre- pre- present a certain um, a certain kind of face. Um, and there's something about being brutally honest about the reality of things that that is kind of universal uh, appeals to people. I think that's correct. You, you know, you ha- I'd have kicked myself in the... You know, when I arrived in London, I remember overhearing a conversation in the World's End pub in Camden. And I said to my friend, if you ever hear me talking like that, 
you know, give me give me a punch in the ribs or something. And and now I kind of have those conversations where photographers have to be a brand, and we are supposed to be seen as sparkling, pure examples of success. You know, striving forward and achieving. And uh, yeah, I think the honest, I think there's a lot of photographers who who can't escape that. You know, that is their livelihood, and they have to continue doing that and then if they read the column and nod and go at least someone's saying it as as he sees it so um yeah i think it does strike a chord yeah so i guess around this kind of time was was the the thought that you know you need um to branch out into other you know establish different revenue streams and what kind of strategies did you start to employ at that stage? Yeah, income streams. That's another one I income would have discussed uh, you know, four or five years ago. Yeah. But, uh, but that's what it is now. It's, um, you know, I'm up for collaboration. I always have been. Uh, I like to do my job well and then hand it over to see what someone else can do with it. And here I'm thinking of organisations like Mini Click who are very innovative, you know, portrait salon. Um, there, you know, there, there are lots of collectives out there. But for me, it was kind of, you know, the, the writing was one thing. Um, I co-founded a gallery in Leeds, which I was co-creative director of for three years. And that was another income stream. So, it's, so it's, how did that, that was the White Cloth Gallery? That's, yes, right. And, and you're not involved with that anymore? No, we've, um, Sharon and I, we, we left in... October 2014 and we're launching a new business called The Curators which is sourcing, curating and installing art for sale in corporate and private spaces so we're right. just we're just working on that so it was it was a clean break from white cloth we think we you know, creatively had taken it as far as we can uh, or could uh, and we were just looking for a new challenge so right that was um, but this that was that was a sort of genuinely viable um, way of earning some money, rather than a sort of labour of love. Oh, it was a, it was pretty much a labour of love for. You so know, not so much for, a good way. No, I, no, I mean you know for a year it was in the making of setting up, and um, but yeah, it was it was very a big learning curve. And, but the, the idea was to keep existing exhibitions on the road. You know, there are lots of. Uh, work out there that photographers have spent a lot of money getting together and now you know after a three week four week whatever sort of show it goes into storage on top of the wardrobe or under the bed so our ethos was to crack open those exhibitions and give them another venue mm. uh, you know and once once we get it say from london up to leeds then it we had an exhibition go on to newcastle and you know that that kind of thing so i think the lesson here Ben, for me is to is to not question things too much, just to start them. Uh, and I think if you show you're being proactive, uh, people get on board. You, you yeah. know, it's like with Cafe Royale Books and Stuart Pilkington's initiatives, uh, Anton's dining clubs. You know, all these things are, are happening, and I think that's a, a real positive. Yeah, you're you're quite um, you're quite keen on twitter and uh, you, you mentioned that that actually has been surprisingly um fruitful in a way that you've sold books as a result of of twittering tweeting whatever it is uh, 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 yeah not sold books so much as 
funded them. Funded I mean, I've, them, yeah, I've, I've exactly. crowdfunded two. Because you've done the Kickstarter thing. Yeah, it's a very powerful tool, really, I think. Um, but you've got to be smart about it. You build up all these followers, and and then some people take issue if you ask them through that platform for help. You know, So you've, you've got to be, I suppose, not pull the wool over anyone's eyes, but just be a bit more... You know, smarter, I guess, about uh, how you go about it. So I, try, I just try and be as entertaining and as honest as possible. So when you're crowdfunding, um, you know, I'd say for the two books, you know, for each of them, sixty to seventy percent of the funding was driven through Twitter, um, because you know if you've got seven thousand followers and you need to raise six thousand pounds, that's not a great deal of money from each. Yeah, exactly. potentially from each follower so they're obviously following you for a reason so i think and it, it, you know during the crowdfunding process you basically have to say buy my book yeah 20 times a day for however long it takes in different ways and but twitter's quite a good platform to do that you know to, for sharing links and pictures and uh, you know generating momentum and you're you're with getty um is that is that a good relationship for you? Do they act as a kind of library and a sort of commercial agent? Do they get you the ad jobs that you sometimes do? Yeah, it's a it's a great relationship for me. I need an agency. I need to be feel as though I'm part of something. These can be lonely times. And yeah. uh, I've tried it. I was with IPG for five years, uh, which was quite a small agency. Um, I had a commercial agent. For three years, I was on my own for a couple of years, and I feel quite lucky to be with Getty. It's this big beast that people sort of have a have an idea about. But the the part I'm with um, is Getty Images Reportage, and these are people who I've known. You know, the the Aidan Sullivan who gave me my first commission at the Sunday Times magazine in '98-'99 is you know is, is vice president of Getty Images Reportage so I get to see Aidan and the other boys in the office you know are friends of mine from a long time ago so it's, it's for me it's nice to have somewhere to drop into to have this sounding board from you know colleagues uh, I trust mm. and you know they truly are global if I have an idea um, Getty can say well we've got 12 people who can help you here in this department or you know if you're in this country drop by and see these people so it's just a, a helpful network you know agencies might, might not be as important as they were but for me it's still relevant and agencies were diminishing you know they were closing left right and center and you know there aren't many places left for no. someone like me to to feel as though I fit and you know Magnum wasn't an option um I couldn't afford to join seven so uh you know I felt like Indiana Jones and sort of rolling under the closing door and, and grabbing my camera to be part of uh, Getty Images yeah it sounds like it's almost the best of both worlds it's got you've got this kind of family uh vibe but also obviously you know as you say they've got this kind of global reach so they seem to ticking all the boxes in, in one organisation, as it were. You still have to be proactive. I know, they're, of course. I'm not suggesting I think just, there's, there's just, you know, there's 16 or so photographers in the core group, which I'm part of, and, uh, you know, their focus will be on the ones who are working. And, and if you have a lull, you know, I still have to initiate change and, you know, go with them with, with ideas, which I wouldn't expect that to be any other way. But it, it's, you know, it's, it's 20 minutes from my front door. Mm. I, I can be there. And, 
if I just need a chat, um, they're always the doors always, you know, open for me to do that. Yeah. So, what's what's what have you got sort of in the pipeline? What's your next uh, thing? Have you got a project that you're um, pondering? Or but so this is the, this is the part where the photographer is always supposed to be prepared and say yes you know i've got i've got this i've got that i'm busy you know i'm achieving and I'm, well, I'm, this is what we were talking about before about the honesty peter right, you know, well, I, well, I think you know it's perfectly fine to say i have no I, freaking clue i am deliberately at the moment at the as this year comes to an end closing off all my creative loose ends right so i want to enter 2016 with absolutely nothing no foundation of of work that's underway or things I can add to, you know, it's a clean slate. So that's why I've published three books in 11 months. I want to get them done. You know, everything that I've shot that I think has value has now been published as a book. There's some archival stuff I might come back to in 20 years. But so, you know, I, I want, I want, I just want to sort of be born into 2016 mm. with, you know, with just, and just have to think hard about, you know, what I want to dedicate. If a project takes five years, I've got three projects left, mm. you know, so I want to have, I take some time and just think exactly what I want to look at and what I want to achieve. Yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that you've produ- produced three books in 11 months, is it really 11 months? It is, yeah. Is is pretty extraordinary in itself, so there's that. But there's also the fact that that is a pl- that what you just described is in itself a plan. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's, okay, not, it's, it's, it's not the it's, absence of a plan, at least it's a plan. It's, it's, it's... It's a foundation, isn't it? It's all rocks in the pond, Ben, you know, yeah. and if you throw enough, then the mountain will break the surface. Exactly. My, my pond seems very deep, though, I think. I've been throwing lots of stones over 15 For a long time, years. Yeah. yeah. Well, you see, I, it seems to be working out. And um, are you quite positive about the future for yourself and also for photography and photography in general? I've no idea how it's going to end. Yeah. I don't. I generally don't know in in twenty years' time whether I'll be in poverty, tucked away in the corner of a boozer, going, yeah, you know, I had some great times, or whether it'll all come together and monetize itself in in uh, success that I beyond my wildest dreams. And I don't mind which way it goes because I'm having a lot of fun along the way, yeah. and I I don't look too far ahead. Um, but then you realise suddenly you've got 15 years of experience and, and whatever behind you. So it's... Uh, yeah. Do you? But, but I, I am positive. I think, um, you know, if you've got an idea, and if you're proactive, there are more ways to get it, uh, to get it seen uh, than there perhaps were before. Yeah. And, um, you know, do you feel now that having been doing it for a long time that you've, you've earned a certain amount of security for yourself or you still you still that 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 time of unemployment still loom large in your kind of consciousness security isn't something that uh, you know i wake up feeling right it's uh, and that's that's what gets me swinging my legs out of bed you know day after day in pursuit of something else you know i um no, security is 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 not part of my daily vocabulary when it comes to photography right but i'm still optimistic and still very positive 
um, but on a day by day, week by week basis rather than you know looking five years ahead. <laughs> 